Hello and welcome to this episode of the Two Cent Sport Podcast. My name is JR, or my friends and family know me as John Rogowski. I am here with the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? Hey, what's up, JR? How you doing today? Oh, man, couldn't be better. Really excited about this episode. Before I get started, I want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Ringer. That's R-I-N-G-R. So go to Ringer, R-I-N-G-R dot com forward slash two cent pod to get started and save 25% on getting your own podcast started. Don't delay. Get it going. I uh, also want to mention to follow us or follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram as well. If you've been listening, you know the tags, but I'll mention them one more time. Two Cent Sport Podcast on Facebook or at Two Cent Sports Pod on Instagram. So without any further ado, let's get into it. We have the NBA Finals matchup is set. The fifth year in a row for the Golden State Warriors. And we have Canada. Canada in the NBA Finals. That's weird, but it's true. The Warriors will face off with the Raptors. To be honest with you, I'm not at all excited about this matchup. I don't think I know a single person who is excited about this matchup. You have one star in Kawhi Leonard who's already tired against the Death Star, the Golden State Warriors who can't be beaten due to a certain lack of competitive balance in the NBA. Uh, I'm not the only one fatigued. It's not just people that I'm talking to. The ratings are showing this. Ratings in the playoffs down 20, 30%, depending upon the game. It's been a tough run for the NBA, and I can say a lot of good about what they have done since uh, Adam Silver has taken over. He's been an excellent commissioner. They've done a lot of great things. They've also caught a couple bad breaks. LeBron James leaves. He was one of the biggest, the biggest ratings draw since... Michael Jordan, and then you have the Eastern Conference Finals dominated by small market teams. Small market teams draw small market ratings. And I want to get into this, get into the main topic. I want to make small markets great again. We want to make small markets great again. As you know, I do have a big market bias. Like I said in the last episode, there's something about the bright lights on the brightest stars with, you know, MSGs. The guys, the superstars are in L.A. They're sitting on the sidelines. There's something about it that's so intriguing. It makes it the TV production, the drama that it is. I want to get into this idea, Marv, about the future star tag. Don't confuse it with the franchise tag in the NFL, but it is very similar. And the concept is simple but complex at the same time. So what we want to do is implement a tag that a team can put on their young player when they are eligible for free agency, the concept would be beneficial to both the player and the player's union. So currently we have a contract situation where a player is drafted. If the team wants to keep them for up to four years, they can do that. And then on their fifth year, they're eligible for a restricted free agency. And that usually puts them on the team that they're drafted by no matter whether they like it or not for eight years. So at the end of the day, we're looking at a player eight years. Maybe they want to be there. Maybe they don't want to be there. We have some flexibility that we want to build in that will give teams control over the player, but also grant player mobility. So first things first, eliminate restricted free agency. This as a whole is going to improve player mobility 
which I'm a big fan of for the NBA. It makes it interesting. The league is more about the star players than it is the franchises. So you're getting overall mobility. But for a situation like the Pelicans, who have Zion Williamson, who has a lot of leverage over his team, whether they know it or not. We got a lot of players skipping the NCAA and going over to uh, the foreign the foreign leagues, the number five prospect, I don't recall his name, but he just says, no control over me. This is the culture of the NBA. So though Zion's not going to do it, someone else is potentially going to do it. These players are getting more and more empowered. So there has to be checks and balances. Part of the situation is after their fourth year of their initial contract, they then get the future star tag, which guarantees them to be on the team for two years and the third year is a player option at the supermax, at the current supermax value. So a player is going to be maybe less happy with their contract, or not with their contract, with their team situation, but they're going to be handsomely compensated for it. Marv, I want to bring you in here. What can we do to make small markets great again with this super, excuse me, this future star tag? I think it'll be, it's a great idea and I think it'll work for both sides. Uh, reason being is, you know, a player would be getting paid handsomely when they get tagged with this, uh, future star tag. It would help also the franchise maintain the player and not lose them. Now, if the player continues to not want to be there after they get the front, the, I'm sorry, the future star tag, then of course, they can work a trade out with the team they desire to go to and get pretty much the, the bigger uh, trade offers. They could sit back and basically run a, um, I mean, the most, the better package. So you make a great point, Marv. One thing that I want to mention is that the concept behind this is similar to the amnesty clause in the uh, previous NBA collective bargaining deal, whereas you can only use this future star tag once every three years, and you can't roll it over. So you either use it or it's gone. You lose it if you uh, decide to pass on it. The brilliance of the plan lies in the fact that, like you were saying, if a player says, no, I don't want to be here anymore and flexes their power, you say, okay, we're going to put the future star tag on you. When the player is saying, no, I'm not going to play at all, and I demand that you trade me, similar to stars nowadays with Anthony Davis and other players, which they did end up playing, but they're unhappy, and it's just a total mess of a situation. Or Paul George in Indiana, they ended up getting a good return for him, but I think that was a little bit more lucky than good on in terms of those deal negotiations. You're not getting very much. Cleveland is a phenomenal example. For Kyrie Irving, they got like a bag of chips and Jay Crowder. Anyways... It doesn't make this complicated, messy situation. The Lakers, for example, in the AD situation can no longer dilly-dally around, say, hey, he wants to come play for us after the one year, so we'll give you nothing, and you'll be happy with it. It says, oh, wow, these small markets have just as good of a chance to get them for the next three years as I do. And it requires, if you're a smart GM, for you to put up the best offer right away because you know everyone's a contender for the next three years, but it, and it allows the other subtlety of it is that it's a three year contract at the super max level pay. So in a lot of situations, these players are only 21, 22. 
they're getting a lot of money right away in their career. But the third year is a player option in this scenario so that we'll see how it works, but they can kind of also get out of it. And it also puts them out of their franchise team in six years instead of the current eight that they're originally with. So again, it increases player mobility. But on the flip side, if you have a situation where, say, the Pelicans were to trade their third pick and they'd get their buddy uh, R.J. Barrett and then they tag Zion and R.J. says, okay, I'll stay. And then you have an organic small market growth for the league and you have superstar players playing in small markets with interesting personalities that everyone wants to watch. Marv, I'm struggling to see a problem. Why wouldn't the NBA want to do this? Yeah, I wouldn't see a reason why they wouldn't want to do it. Um, hopefully, you know, somebody in the NBA league office listens to our podcast and, and <laughs> uses our idea because I think it will help, you know, profit the players, profit the small market teams, and help profit the NBA because it will promote, like you said, uh, player mobility. It will promote if the small market teams are, you know, in danger of losing their guys, uh, after they go ahead and put the future star tag on the player, then of course they can go ahead and flip the player to the location they would like to go for to the highest bidder. And I think that, you know, brings more drama and, and, and fans like that, you know, they like when, uh, there's trade rumors and things going on around these young stars. Uh, and it, it brings a lot of, uh, how I say, Fans closer to, cause they get excited. They're like, Oh, my team is rumored to trade for this guy. Hopefully we can get him because he's a rising star and he's, he's going to be the next great thing. And I think that brings a lot more excitement to the game of, uh, the NBA. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing. When teams offer their best package, it kind of evens the playing field. You might end up in LA. You might end up in Toronto and. There isn't a need for a big market, truly isn't a need for a big market anymore with the connectability of players that you were referring to, the fans being engaged with the players. They're, they're just a, a tweet away. They're just an Instagram post away. So that they're always there. They're always able to be there. And the other nice thing about, again, selling it to the players union, I think part of what we're talking about here is getting buy-in. And you have to remember, it's not just the NBA front office. If they love the idea, the players union has to buy in. Well, the beauty of this concept that we'd want to implement is that you would, once you are future star tagged, you can't be tagged again. So again, you're wide open to full free mobility after those first six years, while it allows in those years to have some more flexibility to either keep the star player and build an organic situ an organic power situation, like I suggested with the Pelicans, or when it's time for the player to go, you at least get a solid return. All right, Marv, I want to summarize for the folks listening our proposal to the NBA. First, you eliminate restricted NBA free agency. It's gone. It's done. Second, you implement the future star tag. So, Again, what the tag is, after the player's initial four-year rookie contract is over, it gives the NBA franchise bird rights, meaning that only they have the opportunity to re-sign the player as they offer him a three-year contract equivalent to the Supermax compensation as set by the NBA. The contract 
will be structured so that the third year is an option to the player. So it's a two-year contract controlled by the team, one year controlled by the player if they still happen to be happy there. The benefits of this deal, number one, and it provides an increase of player mobility. The elimination of restricted free agency alone, player mobility is up, players union loves it, player can go where they want, they can get more compensation, all good on the players union side there. The compensation is then increased for younger players. You have 21, 22-year-olds getting the Supermax. That's a good deal for the players. Again, players union, they should love that. The other, the third element of the deal, the third benefit, it would limit, again, it would limit the player's tenure in a team from six years to eight, eight, or I'm sorry, from eight years to six years. So that would, again, be benefit players union, player mobility. But what it does for the small markets, how we make small markets great again, is that when a player wants out, they have the ability to tag the player and then go ahead and trade them. Now, when the player's under contract for two, maybe three years, if they decide to stay with the team, this makes it a much more enticing deal for everyone in the league, no matter whether it's Milwaukee or whether it's LA, the player can no longer say, I have a preferred destination, but it will also enhance that team's offer. So if you have, for example, an LA market that wants to get involved, they have to give you your max offer to that small market team, which would allow them to, again, grow a organic movement in their city. And hopefully they could build something like a Milwaukee, like an OKC previously had. And I think that wholly summarizes our proposal to the NBA, Marv. Is there anything that I'm missing? Anything that I left out? No, I agree completely with everything you said. But also, guys, for those of you listening, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this proposal. So let us know on social media what you think of it. If it's crazy, let us know. If you love it, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Like we say all the time, we want to hear your takes. We want to hear what you think throughout the week. We don't just want to talk at you guys. So please engage. Let us know what you're thinking about the deal. NBA front office, I hope you're listening. Uh, if you want to call me or email us, it's, you know how to find us on social media. Let me know. Marv, now that we're on this topic of free agency, I want to play the name game, the NBA name game. We have a lot of big names out there in the NBA that are presumably on the move. The first one being Kawhi Leonard. I know a lot of people are talking about him staying in Toronto a lot now, but Vegas odds don't lie, and they got number one odds to the Clippers. Um, when I say the name Kawhi Leonard, who are you thinking? Clippers. That's the only team I've been hearing, and that's the only team that he's been tied to since this all began from the moment he was traded over to uh, to the Raptors. Clippers have been the favorite. Uh, he's a hometown guy. He's uh, looked like he's you know been wanting to go back home, and I mean it's it's Clippers, and if if uh, some way somehow LeBron could work his magic, then of course Lakers. But I'm going all in on the Clippers. And I know things in life can be very situational, especially with Kawhi. But Kawhi is with I, I, 
I know most of you, if not all of you, have had kind of a, a fling where the with with the opposite sex or the same sex, and uh, you kind of got that thing going on in in the bedroom, and nothing else is really good for you, and your family and friends know it's not good for you and you know it's not good for you but you're kind of almost addicted to the situation i think once that emotional connection that fling with toronto dissipates after they lose in four or five games i think he'll get back to where he previously was in terms of being determined to go to la insiders are saying he goes from practice facility to apartment and apartment to arena he doesn't do anything in toronto so other than basketball he has no connections there whatsoever so i do not see him staying at all um continuing with the name game I got another name for you, Jimmy Butler. This one's a tough one. Um, if I had to really choose a team, I would say Lakers. Um, you know, like we've spoken before in the past, he's you know had the chips on his shoulder. He'd like to play in a big market on a big market team, and he has a lot to prove. And the Lakers, you know, right now they're going through a lot. So I think, you know, he, he could be that guy that goes and brings, you know, toughness to the Lakers and plays alongside LeBron and hopefully achieves greatness there. Yeah, I think Jimmy has always had a chip on his shoulder. The thing that gets interesting there is are they willing to offer him the max? That's going to look like a bad contract in four years. He's got a lot of tread on those tires, but the Lakers are in a very desperate situation. And if they could get Jimmy Butler – I think he'll be a good player, a very above serviceable player for the foreseeable future, which is three years, which is LeBron's era uh, in L.A. while he's at his peak. So I think it's it would be a good thing for them to get done. And I don't think they should mess around if that's with going into free agency with Kawhi. And Butler would want to be courted. And there's reports out there that say if the Lakers would offer him a max, that they'd take him. Sometimes – you got to go with fit, and there's a certain fit there, especially for a franchise in incredible dysfunction. So I'm with you there. Uh, the next name, Clay Thompson. Golden State Warriors, or Warriors. I believe he stays home. Uh, once, of course, this is in connection with KD. Once KD leaves, uh, the Warriors will be scrambling, and they will more than likely pay whatever Clay Thompson demands at that point. And I think. That's where he's going to end up staying at. Yeah, so what's interesting is he's no longer eligible or was never eligible for the Supermax because he didn't make an all-NBA team. You can debate that all you want. I don't think he was deserving. That's outside of the majority. Just based on the fact of his play, there's four, four all-stars on the team. There's not enough ball to go around. LeBron was third team. It's not based on how good you are. It's based on how you produced, and he just didn't produce at an all-NBA level. Um, so that kind of opens the door, and I think there's only room for KD or Clay in Golden State. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Got another name, Kemba Walker. Now this one's a tough one. If I had to guess off the top of my head, where would Kemba go? I would say Dallas. Uh, reason being is Dallas, you know, can be a dark horse in this free agency. They have salary cap and I don't know, Kemba just fits the mold of a Dallas player for some reason because he can shoot. And, you know, Dallas is building a team with a bunch of uh, European players who can shoot, so he would fit that mold. And plus, they already have their ball handler, so Kemba wouldn't really have to handle the ball. He'd just have to catch and shoot. Yeah, I like that. That's really interesting. I had not thought of Dallas. It's an eccentric owner 
with a great fan base and a really uh, actually great city if you've never been. Um, here's a point that I want to bring up about Kemba, Marv. He's a big Jordan guy. He only wears Jordan shoes. He plays for Michael Jordan's team. How is he going to go into that meeting with MJ, who's going to offer him a Supermax contract as he is eligible for one, as he made the third team NBA team or all NBA? How are you going to turn down Michael Jordan in that meeting when you've looked up to him since you're an idol? I, I, I could see him staying in Charlotte. How is he going to do that? I mean, he could, but I honestly don't think Charlotte's going to tie up $40 million a year on Kemba Walker. Just, I just don't see it. It's going to be really hard. You know, that's good. They put that him making it to an all NBA team has put Charlotte in a tough position right now, because if they don't offer him the supermax, I can see him going to another team. If they offer him the supermax, then I, I guarantee you he's going to sign on the dotted line. Cause that's the most money he's ever going to see in the rest of his life. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I could see that. Uh, definitely. He'll certainly be a max player for whoever signs him. I could definitely see the scenario where Charlotte over, overpays, but that would be interesting. I want to get into a couple guys in the name game that are not free agents, but I'm curious where they're going to suit up. Anthony Davis, where will he be? I've been going back and forth on this, and I think at the end of the day, the most desperate team might end up winning the Anthony Davis sweet stakes, which would be the Celtics. Uh, Celtics are probably going to start scrambling once they lose Kyrie. And then they're going to get desperate and just give out, give away players just to get Andy Davis. And at the end of the day, it's just going to be a disaster. That would be a total disaster because what it would take is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So you just traded away your entire young core for a great player who would be a rental because you'd have nothing else around him. This isn't a Kawhi to Toronto situation where he does have a a superstar paid player who's actually been playing like a superstar hats off to Kyle Lowry, but you would have nobody to go with him except for Terry Rozier. It would be a horrendous train wreck. I'm going to go against you here, Marv. I am going with the fact that he will be playing with the Knicks. I think the third pick and Kevin Knox and a couple of uh, other first round picks. So total of three picks plus Kevin Knox, plus something's to make the salaries match. I do think he'll be a New York Nick and that wouldn't be the worst thing for New York. Another name, Bradley Beal. Where will he be? Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, reason being, as we've spoken before in the past, Bradley Beal just fits marvelously alongside LeBron James. He's made for the bright lights. Bradley Beal is a Mr. Big Shot type of player, and he looks like he would thrive in Los Angeles. I like the fit. Absolutely. that And that would make it very interesting at that point with the Jimmy Butler deal and how the contracts would work. And that would also take them out of the AD sweepstakes, more or less. So it's a matter of what their priorities are. The Lakers don't know what their priorities are, so I couldn't begin to speculate what that is. But what I can speculate on is the order in which this would have to take place. Brad Beal would first be traded to the Lakers. That would happen before free agency. One would imagine it's the only way that it makes any sort of sense as the dust kind of settles, but the Lakers don't make sense. So maybe I'm making too much sense. Anyways, get back to it. Bradley Beal fits better than anyone else, better than Anthony Davis, I would argue, with LeBron James because he can play without the ball. LeBron plays with shooters. He hasn't played well with big men in his career. Look back at Kevin Love. Look back at Chris Bosh. 
Everyone looked at them and said, those are the guys that do not fit in this big three trio that they have. LeBron needs a shooter first and foremost. So what will be interesting to find out is if Brad Beal ends up at the Lakers and then the Lakers go into free agency, can they first afford Jimmy Butler and and or could they get Jimmy Butler to take a little less and say, hey, you want to come play in Los Angeles this, where everybody loves you and you're you're making the Lakers competitive and, and you're putting them up for a championship? That would be an interesting proposition to see if you could get Jimmy. It would be ego versus something that makes sense. And we'd really see who Jimmy Butler is because I'm not sure if he's driven more by ego or more by winning. He shows a little bit of both. He's got that little Jordan thing, but he's never been loved so much. He's 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 a second round pick, overlooked his whole life, grew up kind of on the streets. It'll be interesting to see where they where they end up in that situation. I want to shift to this. The NFL season is heating up, and there's reports out of Los Angeles, out of OTAs, that Todd Gurley's knee is worse than expected. Not only is this not good for Los Angeles as they were a run-based team. If you look at the numbers with Todd Gurley in, compared to him out, Jared Goff's numbers were below average when Gurley was out and well above average as he made the Pro Bowl when Gurley was in most of the time. This is a chronic arthritis issue that may never go away, and I hate to speculate negatively, but could be the end of Todd Gurley. And that makes me take a step back to when I said the Le'Veon Bell was a great deal for running backs. It was a great deal for Le'Veon Bell. Everyone said, oh, man, has this man lost his mind? Everybody in the sports media said it. But I said $36 million, four years, guaranteed for a running back, worth up to 50-something million. Marv, do you remember how much it was? It was 56? Six, yeah, I believe it was Yeah, it was like 56 with 35 guaranteed over four years. He's $5 million less than Todd Gurley. And – as many things in life, very cyclical, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell. Oh, running backs are it again. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Denver Broncos, your Denver Broncos, Marv, plugged in a running back who was an undrafted free agent in his first season, in his first season, and he ran for 1,000 yards. The Chicago Bears are going to combine a backfield of a Third round pick this year, who's a projected starter and projected to have a large impact on the league. And they're going to pair him with a fourth round pick who's already a, a huge playmaker. Then you can look at the much maligned Kareem Hunt in Kansas City. He steps in as a superstar uh, running back in his first season as a third round draft pick. So, Marv, are we starting to see the pendulum swing back to reality here? I believe so. And if you notice this year's draft, there was only one running back that went in the first round. I mean, teams are, how I say, valuing running backs uh, less than what they used to. Uh, there's, you know, once in a blue moon, you'll have a Zeke Elliott, a Todd Gurley uh, come out of the draft that gets, you know, they get taken in the top five. And But nowadays, guys are drafting running backs in the third, fourth, fifth, or even like the Broncos who are drafting guys, I mean, getting guys uh, drafted and plugging them in. And these guys, you know, normally those guys who get drafted later in the, in the draft or going drafted are, are hungry and they play with a chip on their shoulder and they go out there and they, they play their butts off. I mean, just look at Philip Lindsay. Um, he went out there and he proved the world wrong. He didn't even get an invite to the combine. That's to show you, you know, 
how the NFL is changing. You got guys coming out of nowhere. Uh, so I think nowadays, you know, when you look at those big contracts going to guys like Le'Veon Bell, uh, it, it I kind of cringe because I'm used to the long legacy of the Denver Broncos running game from guys like Terrell Davis to Orlando's Gary to Mike Anderson, the clip porters, you know, the list goes on. All these guys weren't drafted in the first round. They all put up thousand yards. And, um, every time their contract came up, of course, the Broncos showed them the door. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's normally been the life, you know, I'm used to seeing that as being the life of the running back that, you know, you use them and then you send them out the door packing and you trade them for something, you know, something that, you know, like another position, like for example, the Clinton Porters trade that netted us a second round pick and Champ Bailey, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, I mean, some teams value running backs more than others. Uh, but if I had, if I was a GM in the NFL, I would, you know, do the same thing the Broncos do, the same thing the 49ers do, the same thing the Packers do, you know, teams that just plug guys in and, you know, and don't overpay for running backs. Yeah, it, you make a great point. It's been a traditional uh, practice for NFL teams to move on from running backs quickly. And we had, like I said, we had the pendulum swing to, oh, wow, running back is super important. And now it's swinging back to, oh, duh, we can find these guys in the third and fourth and even fifth round. Jordan Howard was a fifth rounder for Chicago, and he was just phenomenal and a pro bowler. Marv, I am against the concept in most situations. All of life is situational. There are exceptions to the rule, and we can get into that. But I am against the concept of paying your running back a ton of money. It's never been proven to work in the NFL in terms of winning Super Bowls or winning long term. Are you against that as well in principle? Yeah, I'm I'm 100% against that. I mean, look, another team that's been winning constant Super Bowls is the Patriots. When have you seen the Patriots go out and sign a superstar running back that hits the market? It's like never. No, they sign somebody who fits their system all the time. For example, Rex Burkhead. This guy was a four-string running back on the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, he became the starter for the Patriots. Exactly. Exactly. Their their pro scouting is incredible, and they find undervalued players. That's what they do at all all positions. The other question I have, like I said, life is situational. There are, I believe, there's situations where a running back may fit the mold of a team. For example, I do like, as I said in the previous podcast, I like the Le'Veon Bell deal for both the Jets and for Le'Veon Bell. The Jets have a rookie quarterback who got beat around pretty bad last year, and he needs help. Enter Le'Veon Bell. He's not only a running back, but he's also a receiver as well. I mean, the guy's legitimate. He catches 80 passes a year in some seasons. And so you're adding that level of help to your young quarterback. But it looks like, and this is just speculation that I've heard out of the league, that now that Adam Gase has come to power, he was talking about trading in Le'Veon Bell. So will this uh, Le'Veon Bell situation be a Kardashian wedding? I'm not sure. It may last. It's lasted already more than 72 days, I think. I'm not sure. But shout out to uh, Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys. Um, Marv, is there any situation in which you would pay a running back and you think of a running back that you think would be worth a large number guaranteed? Honestly, 
uh, you know, it's gotta be honestly, no. Um, like I said, you know, I come from a, a growing up watching a team that's, you know, recycled running backs left and right. And I'm so used to seeing that happen, you know, not seeing my team waste money on a running back, even though I've wanted them to. At the end of the day, we've won Super Bowls without having to spend money on a running back. See, another team that's been really successful is the Steelers, which where Le'Veon Bell came from. The se- the whole season that Le'Veon Bell sat out, uh, John Carter, if I'm not mistaken, he went over a thousand plus yards and he basically, you know, put up similar numbers with Le'Veon Bell. Not to take away anything from Le'Veon Bell. He's a hell of an athlete and Le'Veon Bell is in the same kind of sentence as a Ladanian Thomason or a Marshall Fault, complete running backs who do everything for you from running good routes to, you know, hitting the hole, patient runners who put up big numbers. Like, these guys can take over games, you know. So I respect Le'Veon Bell. Do I Would I give him money he received? No. Does he deserve it? Yes. So... I mean, it all depends on, it's all in the eye of the beholder. If you, you know, fall in love with a player and you think that player is going to be the one that's going to help you develop your players around him or help your young quarterback take the next step, then, I mean, you can take the leap of faith and hopefully everything works out. Yeah, I I agree with you, Marv, in principle and in 95% of situations. What I'm saying is that if you're similar to the Jets, you have the combination of a very young quarterback without many star players, and you have like a hundred million dollars in cap space. I mean, why not? It's a short contract, not a lot of. I think the two. It's pretty front loaded. The first two years is where he gets almost all the money, so it's really a low risk situation where it can help develop your quarterback, your young quarterback, and get him confidence because we've seen. Supremely talented quarterbacks get bounced out of the league because they haven't had any sort of support. And it's becoming more and more apparent as you see guys coming from nowhere state, uh, Carson Wentz and Joe Flacco. These guys have had moderate levels of success. Uh, Lewis Riddick today just said that Carson Wentz is going to be the MVP. I believe it when I see it. But uh, as you know, I've never been a big fan of Carson Wentz and his teammates clearly aren't either, but that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is there are certain situations, but I agree with you almost wholly as it goes forward with running backs. But I do want to point out, like I said, we had spoke about this on the last podcast, not the last podcast, but a previous podcast. Everyone's freaking out, especially those in New York. Some people that are way overpaid. I won't mention names, but Stephen A. Smith. Um, <laughs> they, they hated the contract and they thought it was terrible. It, 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 uh, looks pretty good now for Le'Veon Bell and it's still good for the Jets. It's still a good deal. And, and I should say that those people were going after Le'Veon Bell for saying he was going to get 50, 60 million guaranteed or he wasn't going to play and he didn't. You, again, in negotiation, you set your number high. Then you, the team come back low and you meet in the middle. So I think he very successfully played the situation. Uh, that's all we have for the episode today, guys. Thank you for listening. Again, stay in touch with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, Marv. You got anything for the people? All righty, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, until the next one, uh, enjoy the playoffs, and we'll continue covering all the sports you love.